My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. What really makes you feel sexy? I'm not talking tips and tricks you read about in some trendy magazine, you know, what lingerie to wear or sexy poses to strike, though if those work for you, awesome. But I'm talking about things that make you surprisingly feel sexy, like kind of out of the blue through authenticity. What can you do to invite stronger emotional intimacy with your partner or on a daily basis? Could the world's first Guybrader fit into that mix? Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin. Whether you are listening for the first time or you've caught all 170-something episodes, I'm so thrilled you're tuning in. To learn more about me and all things Girl Boner, hop over to my website, augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. They both go to the same website. For my blog, links to articles I've written and my TEDx talk, there's some sweet sex toy shopping options, and a whole lot more. If you sign up for email updates, you'll receive episode extras and any important news from me about once a month. I would love to have you join my personal posse. You can also find me all over social media. Just search for Girl Boner. Today, you're going to hear excerpts from a very fun chat I had with our resident sex and relationships expert, Dr. Megan Fleming, and previous guest, Kate Scalisi of Passion by Kate. I was in New York for my brother's amazing art show last month. His name is Aaron Johnson. He actually appeared on the show as well. You can find him on Instagram at Aaron Johnson Art. That's A-A-R-O-N. Aaron Johnson Art. And please tell him Girl Boner sent you. He'll get a kick out of that. And when I was in New York, I had the chance to sit down with Dr. Megan and Kate for some grown-up girl talk, if you know what I mean. We sipped a little bubbly, which Megan brought along to raise a glass to the Girl Boner book contract I signed recently. I'm so excited. It's going to be published by Amberjack Publishing next year. And we gabbed about our work, our fantasies, our fantasy lives, ways to nurture intimacy, and a whole lot more. Please stick around after those excerpts because later on, I'm going to be talking about the Pulse 3 Duo, a penis solo and couple vibrator by Hot Octopus that is unlike any toy I have ever experienced. And be sure to check out my blog next week for a review of the toy. Plus, they are so generously offering a giveaway of the toy. It's going to be really, really fun. First, how about that girl talk? So I'm sitting here with Kate Scalisi and Dr. Megan Fleming, two of my favorite people who have been on the show many times. Uh, Megan's our resident sex and relationship expert, and Kate has joined me in the studio before, which was very fun. Kate, what do you tell people when they ask what you do? Like a stranger, someone you meet, and they're like, what's your career? What kind of work do you do? It honestly depends on the mood that I'm in because I know that as soon as I say that I'm a sex educator and that I help people to have more intimate, exciting, and fulfilling sex lives, they are going to have a lot of questions because that's what always happens. So uh, if I have the time and I'm open to being chatty, I tell them that. I love it. I love it. Megan, what about you? Um, again, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, so I'm a clinical psychologist. Yeah. 
and depending on the environment, I'll say I'm a psychologist or I'll say I'm a sex <laughs> therapist or a couples therapist. Yeah. So, because you definitely know that if you put the sex therapy PR out, that you're definitely going to get a whole, I mean, usually the asking was my friend, you know, <laughs> just yeah. friend of mine. I'm about my friend. I'm yeah. just curious what you think. It usually comes out like, or sometimes actually, and to my husband's dismay, um, he's heard like experiences of his friends from when they were like much younger. And he's like, I didn't really need to know that. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. I've done that where I'm like, sometimes it's I'm a writer yeah, or I'm a show host. Mm -hmm. And then they start asking more questions and you can kind of, and you can also feel out how people might react. And if they really want to know, and then, and it's interesting if a loved one's around, because we're very used to people asking these questions or bringing these things up, but I've had loved ones or close friends who are totally shocked when someone's like, so this weird thing happened with my erection, you know, and we're like in a restaurant and someone next to you is like blushing and, and you're just like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Tell yeah. me more about that. Yeah. I have, I have a similar, if I'll say like I'm a health educator and then sometimes they'll ask, do you specialize? And I'll say sexual and reproductive health. And then depending on that, we'll determine the course of the conversation. Totally. Totally. And I have the 13 year old at home and she's like, mom, I can hear you. <laughs> That is hysterical. Oh my gosh. Good for her. Totally. Yeah, sometimes you have to like screen consults and things yeah. like that. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> What's a, a myth about your work that's common? I imagine they might come up in these intro conversations. You know, if like, if, for example, if I did say I was a writer, sometimes they're like, oh, people make money at that? You know, like there's, oh. uh, for one example. Ouch. Yeah. What about you, Kate? A lot of times people either introduce me as a sex therapist or a sex worker and I I always have to kind of differentiate that those are three different careers and they're all fantastic and I'm very supportive of all of them but those would be the two most common kind of where they place me and it's interesting it's always a good reminder to me that the field of sex education is firmly viewed as something that's in high schools that you teach to teens and that if you're as soon as they hear sex, they go straight to therapy or work, and that they just don't even know that this exists. So it's a good, it's a good humbling reminder for me to keep doing this work. Totally, it's motivating and yeah. it's an affirmation. Like this is pretty needed. Yeah, yeah. And I think around that 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 sense of um, educating people that there are options, right? Because mm-hmm. the average in a sense consumer doesn't know that, and so sometimes someone needs. You know, we all know porn is not good psychoeducation, right? So sometimes somebody just really needs, whether it's a good self-help book or, mm-hmm. um, you know, speaking with a sex educator, they just sort of need those basic information yes. and just sort of the freedom and a space mm-hmm. to talk about their concerns where they feel that sense of privacy and confidentiality. And I think for me, it's interesting, um, you know, because again, my website's Great Life, Great Sex, that they call and they're like, do you do couples therapy? And I'm like, oh, like, of course I do. You know? <laughs> and it just seems so odd you know, in some ways that that doesn't come across. But I think overall, uh, for anybody's listening, it's just a sense of how do we take the stigma out? Because mm-hmm. when it comes to coming to quote unquote therapy, I can tell you the guys that come to me and women and couples, but like the, it's their gynecologist, the urologist, maybe yeah. the therapist, they've had that recommendation often for months and maybe been referred by different individuals, you know, several different referrals. And I think they feel it's sort of like last stop, like it's like it's the last thing they want to do and the last place they want to be. And yet, inevitably, I think at the end of even that first consult, they're like, 
there's like that big exhale because like something they've been holding all to themselves mostly it's a space to talk about and there's like next steps and there's something actionable and I think there's that sense of hope and help is just Mm -hmm. you know it, it, it transcends everything isn't it so interesting that there's this shame or stigma around going in for therapy? I personally think sex therapy would be so fun to go in on a regular basis just for the heck of it, right? Like, who doesn't love psychoanalysis? Or maybe I'm a little weird that way. But regardless, I think it's amazing. And you can find out about Megan's work at greatlifegreatsex.com. I also know, though, that not everybody has access to counseling. So I asked Kate and Dr. Megan to share practices that can help us enhance intimacy in our daily lives. So two practices that uh, I started using in my own relationship um, and that I definitely recommend when I teach workshops, when I work with women and couples one-on-one. One is uh, totally stolen from Gretchen Rubin, who does work on happiness and habits, and she calls it warm hellos and goodbyes. And basically the idea is that instead of kind of rushing around and quick goodbyes, quick hellos, whatever it is, taking time to make them special. And not like a whole lot of time, just a minute. A minute to hug each other, get that nice little kick of oxytocin going to connect you and and feel more intimate and together um, when you leave and then when you come back together. And that could be done, you know, it's not as powerful if you're a part. Most people who follow me know that my partner and I were long distance for eight and a half years and we continue to travel a lot, we spend a lot of time apart, but it's also a way to be like, oh, you know, my partner's calling me, I'm gonna stop what I'm doing for the moment and like really take a minute here to just reconnect with him. Mm. And that's, it's a really nice way to, to build up a little bit of intimacy that doesn't take a lot of time because especially here in New York, we're all really freaking busy living beautifully full lives. Um, yeah. So that, that can be really powerful. And I just forgot the second one. <laughs> Oh, I got it. No, okay, back. Um, the other thing um, is to ask better questions. And so when we are together, instead of just saying, like, how was your day, we'll talk about, like, what were you most proud of today? What were you least proud of? Um, what was the best part? What was the worst part of your day? And that those questions allow us to look, you know, more deeply at our days, which is always a good thing to do, and then also to share things that are not as surface level. It's not just like, oh, I got coffee and then work was kind of okay. It's like, no, this thing happened today and it was really a struggle. And so you're you're build, very easily building in that deeper sharing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ooh. And I think it's, it's interesting you say it because um, there's different versions of this. In our house, it's the rose, the bud, and the thorn. Okay. So you ask in each day, even with you, for me, mm-hmm. my children, right? Like, what was your rose? What's your bud? You're emerging, the thing that you're looking forward to, and what was your thorn? Oh, I like that. And so <laughs> it's really an opportunity to instill, in a sense, a practice, right, around examining your day and seeing that all three can exist, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think so often we have that negativity bias and we're focused on what we don't have or hasn't happened or the pain of the day. And so a conscious reminder of, wow, what was good and what's becoming, right, I think is huge. Um, and I also think that, you know, in some ways, you know, my biggest thing is how do we, in a sense, um, help couples embrace this sense of, um you know, relationships are work, and work's not a dirty word any more than sex is, right? And this idea in our culture, prevention, in a sense, doesn't sell. Like, how come it takes couples an average of seven years into conflict, which is the statistics from John Gottman, who does the research, like, until they come into therapy? Because I'm telling you, seven years in, it's entrenched, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a lot of, like, you know, 
protest and, and struggle and it, you know not to say that that you can't turn around from that point because I always think you know people often come to therapy in the sense of the crisis and the crisis is the opportunity um, but I also think it's like how do we help just the average couple recognize like I want to keep my relationship hot you know monogamy doesn't equal monotony and you know I think you got to put some time and energy to you know sort of keep the flame. I love that message so much and the practices they both recommended rather than just whizzing by each other, you know, stopping to look each other in the eyes or hold each other, check in is so big. And as Megan was talking about couples and how it takes so long for them often to come in, I was curious about what she kind of predicts. Like, can she get a sense of, oh, these guys are definitely going to break up when she meets them? Or can she see a lot of promise? Or does any of that even matter? Well, it's interesting. And I would say, and it depends, right? Because it's not uncommon one partner is sort of convincing the other partner to come. Um, It's also not uncommon that especially around the sexual dysfunction, like not having an orgasm or difficulties with arousal or erection, the partner might be like, you go, like you get fixed and come back, right? I get, I get a bit of that, right? Which again, and how do we support partners in understanding their role? Um, but I also think it's to recognize, and some people come to basically leave the partner off at the door, right? The agenda is checkbox, I went to therapy, I quote unquote tried it all. And sometimes, you know, I get a sense of, but you're not really, committed right like it's like are you interested are you committed and those that are committed absolutely 100% I see that the impact that therapy has but if you're not committed you know you're not gonna see those results I could tell you were having some visceral feelings <laughs> over there. We have, I wish we had a camera for her charades going on here. They would just see us all nodding and smiling and like, yes. <laughs> So I, a lot of the people that I, that I work with, I, I often recommend if they aren't already in sex couples therapy or just therapy period that they do because there are often issues that will be best resolved with the help of a therapist and most everyone Actually, every single person uh, that I've worked with one-on-one has also been working with a therapist, and they go hand-in-hand. And sometimes they don't feel comfortable talking about sex to their therapist, and so they get the sex piece with me. And then if there are some underlying issues that I can pick up on about body image, about trauma, then I can guide them to bringing those up with the therapist in in a way that they don't have to mention sex if they're still uncomfortable with it. But I also, I I actually work with individuals in relationships more so than I work with couples. And a common question that I get is like, is this going to make a difference at all? And if the relationship is healthy, which is again, generally the the population I'm working with, working on yourself and kind of gaining that knowledge and those skills can be extremely beneficial. And so it's, it's always really nice to see someone who maybe was a little bit hesitant, like, is this really gonna make a difference if I do the internal work? But yeah, because as you're doing that internal work, how you relate with your partner and how you interact with them changes, and that triggers changes in them. And you know, what was I think it was a New York Times article about change within the being the only constant within relationships, and how every marriage is really multiple marriages because you're in different stages of your life. And so I really see it as being on that continuum. Mm, yeah, the journey and the evolving, and what a cool thing to be a part of that. Kate brought up body image, and I was so glad that she did because I had read a blog post you'd written about S-Factor, that really popular class where you kind of learn to pole dance and strip tease, and a, a lot of people seem to be really empowered by it. And I've been really curious and wanted to take the class. And she had not the most positive of experiences, so I asked her to weigh in. 
So I want to, just like I did in my post about this topic, I want to preface by saying that like I'm really grateful that S-Factor exists and I think that it serves a really, not I think, I know that it serves a really powerful role in the lives of many people. Unfortunately, I was not one of those people and I went to the class, um, I, again, if you have heard me talk or read my stuff before, you know that I have multiple disabilities, um, including a form of arthritis that limits my mobility a bit. And so I went to the class and found that I couldn't do a lot of what they were asking me to do, or I pushed myself to do it even though I knew that it wasn't actually good for my body to do because I was trying to fit into this idea that they were saying, this is what sexy is. And it, the class, so, so physically it was not a good experience for me. Um, my friend was teaching and she, I take other dance classes with her and so she knows everything that's going on, but there was a co-teacher who didn't and kept being like, why aren't you going on the pole? Like, are you sure? And I think she thought I was just shy, but I was like, no, because my shoulder will pop out of it. And I didn't want, I wasn't in a place where I wanted to disclose that to her. And so it felt very almost boundary crossing that after I said no one, like once she kept coming back and I said twice and she kind of was like, no, like, <laughs> so that was really uncomfortable for me. And then that was the physical side, the mental emotional side, in a lot of ways it felt very performative and I'm still digging into what exactly bothered me about this, but it felt almost like using sex to sell sex. Like you, if you look this certain way, not look, but if you move this certain way and walk this certain way, because they, there is like an S factor walk and everything, and you do these certain things, then you will be sexy. And that to me just feels like it's such a part of just these patriarchal views of women and our bodies and what sexy is. So that also sat really uncomfortably with me. Um, so there's that physical piece and then that, that kind of mental emotional piece of who am I being sexy for here? And I hear you telling me, not you, but S Factor, telling me that it's for myself and I'm here for myself, but it didn't feel like that for me. It felt like this is how to be sexy. And so the question running through my mind was, well, if this is uncomfortable or if I'm physically unable to do that, does that mean I can't be sexy? And I, I know that I, I can't be the only one who's had this experience, and I'm grateful that I have the tools from doing this work to be able to be like, no, that's, that's obviously not true, but that question has been something I've been grappling with. And a platform to share it. I love that you yeah. wrote about it from that vulnerable place of yeah. being like, I'm still figuring this out. Yeah. And the whole idea of having something taught to you as this is what is supposed to empower you. This and this is, is what, what your sensual creature looks like. And I'm like, well, I don't think mine does actually. Because <laughs> even heels, right? I've wondered because, you know, I'm heel free now. So I'm like, can I take these classes? I'm totally mesmerized by the idea of doing the, like trying the pole dancing and all yeah. this seductive dancing and stuff. But they all wear high heels in the videos mm -hmm. I've seen. Were they required? So no, we were all in, this was a beginner's class that I took. Um, and we were all barefoot and in just workout clothes. Um, and I actually, I should say, I actually love pole dancing. I used to pole dance when I was in grad school. Um, I, it's not super as accessible to me anymore. But what I remember of those classes is that they were a bit, it wasn't, there wasn't this, this focus on connecting with the central creature and being sexy. It was just like, we're here to swing on a pole and have fun. Um, and that to me, I felt a lot more sexy doing that mm -hmm. and kind of pushing myself without this prescriptive, this is what sexy looks like. Yeah. And again, I know that, I know so many people, including my friend who taught the class, this S factor was completely transformative for her and for many, many people. It just helped them connect with that sensual side. For me, I was like, this isn't, 
put me in, you know, put me in like, I don't know, put me somewhere else and I feel sexiest. Well, <laughs> you know, and as I hear, I think, because um, I've actually taken the stripping, you know, workshop class and I've also taken the beginning class at S-Factor. And so, like for me, I'm probably more the inhibited side. <laughs> Just like the thought of getting on a pole in front of other women when I don't know what the frick I'm doing um, mm-hmm. in and of itself was like not the most relaxed. Or, you know, I went with friends, so you're basically partnering and trying to seduce your friend and it's a little weird. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. but beyond that, I love the playlist. I love the moods. Uh, they give you moves and things like that. And, you know, the idea that there's an art in some level to seduction and, you know, I always believe in self as expert, right? You go into any new environment and, you know, kudos to anybody who has the courage yeah. to go into an uncomfortable place um, for a body sex workshop or for pole dancing mm-hmm. or Zumba, whatever it might look like. But, you know, I think our growth edge is when we lean into those uncomfortable places because only then can we know experientially yeah. Does this work for me or does it not? And, you know, and ideally, what parts do I want to take that felt mm-hmm. like it fit and which parts, eh, you know, you, you can recognize this part, despite that, quote unquote, they're expert or, you know, this is a, um, you know, maybe sort of a protocol that you don't have to follow that. You get to mm-hmm. listen to your own heart. And that, and so that to me was, because I, I have a friend who's like devout yeah. and uh, we actually went for her birthday. She, uh, for all her women friends, you know, basically entertained us and did a basically a pole dancing and it was amazing and you could tell how much it had done for a sense mm-hmm. of femininity or sexuality. Um, especially post having, you know, a few kids. And so like for some women I think it's amazing yep. and it's strength and it's I'm sexy and you know and for other women not, right? So I think it's all about allowing yourself to take risks right in a a safe way right not just like I always say put a toe in the water you don't jump in the deep end Mm -hmm. Um, because I think it's so important that you know we allow ourselves to try things on because only by doing it for ourselves experientially can we know whether or not you know try try again do we give it Mm -hmm. a second chance and see if we can relax and not be observing it and see if it's a fit and it's in our repertoire or you know what it's not for now and maybe not forever. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that we both like grasped yeah. our hearts when you said it was so beautiful for her. Mm-hmm. And I get so I get so turned on by a woman or anybody just getting so turned on and like breaking out of that, you know, out of that whatever that comfort zone was and creating this new uninhibited, free, sensual mm-hmm. place. And I'd much rather experience somebody else's if it were something that I was not comfortable with. But I, as you were talking to, I remember this this boyfriend when I was in this relationship where he expected me to do sexy dances for him and I was so uncomfortable. It was so bizarre because he used to go to like Latin dance clubs and stuff and he had like these Latin hips that just like did things that my Swedish hips don't do. <laughs> and he was like, why don't you sexy dance with me? Like b- before sex and stuff, he thought I would do these things and I was so terrified. I'm like, I don't know how to do what you're saying. And then he start, he'd ask me questions because I, I was acting at the time. Um, so I'd go off to you know, parties and stuff where you have to network and he would say, well, of course you sexy dance there, right? And I'm like, they're expecting me to be like, I don't know how to do it, you know? And at that time, I had thought about taking classes, not for me, but for him. 
Ah, memories. <laughs> this whole chat led to some more juicy talk on the whole concept of am I doing blank to feel more connected to my body and myself or my sexuality or am I doing it to measure up or because we feel somehow insufficient or solely to please somebody else? Again, I see a lot of um, desire, mismatched desires, desire discrepancy, and I see, um, again, not always because men can have a lower sexual interest or libido, but it's often the women, and, and they often feel pressure around, it's my duty, it's my obligation, and not, sometimes it's from that place, and sometimes it's from a, oh, sorry, I really love and care about my partner, and I know, you know, it, it's causing them distress, and and I sort of say to them, you know, and sometimes they push themselves to do what they didn't want to do for so long that, the, you know, I always say the body speaks, right? Where viscerally, then he just goes to touch her and she, like, retracts. Um, and so, because there's so much conditioning that can, can happen. And I try to help women recognize that, you know, it's not uncommon I hear if I never had sex again the rest of my life, I'd be okay with that. And I'm like, Ugh. like, to me, that's nails on a chalkboard. Because as I hear that, I'm, I'm to myself thinking they don't even know that they've cut themselves off mm -hmm. from their own sense of sexual pleasure for themselves, not even for their partner. Like it, to me, it's about rekindling desire for yourself um, and really helping women realize it, you're not coming here doing this for them. Mm -hmm. You're here. And again, I think it's just in general, and uh, Stella Resnick, she's a therapist on the West Coast that talks a lot about how women in general, we're sort of... A culture to not allow pleasure, you know, and, and how do we know it? Food in certain ways where it's socially acceptable, you know, but it's really about how do we receive pleasure and allow it? And I think that that's um, something that I really want to help, you know, more women to be able to do. Wow. Did you all love that as much as I did? It was so powerful. And it makes so much sense that, you know, socially acceptable pleasure for women has largely been non-sex related, right? So we might be much more likely to turn to food because that is considered acceptable. And we're still not quite there yet as far as our sensual girl boner pleasure as a society. It's really something to think about. And I love thinking about it in the context of turning on your desire for yourself and knowing that it's there, it's inherent, and what might be standing in the way of it. Next, we dove into what makes us feel sexy personally. I asked Megan what had really turned her on lately. People who know me well know I'm like, I really love Soul Cycle, and people have their own thoughts about Soul Cycle, <laughs> like the US Factor. Um, but there was this playlist that, you know, I actually asked the instructor if I could have because, you know, to me, it's a movement meditation. And mm -hmm. there's something about a stationary bike that, you know, because it's stationary and I'm not looking about a rock and I'm not thinking about the person who's going to come up behind me, you know, it's New York. Um, that I can let myself go mm. and you know letting myself go I mean in and of itself is what helps me tap into my creative energy like my best thoughts are on the bike and I think in some ways my central self so I think it's just everybody has to find out for themselves what it is that speaks to them because when it does um, it's something in my mind that it's not hard to create sort of a practice around what about you Kate I recently got accepted to an adaptive aquatics program here in New York through the Parks and Rec program, and it, they do it by lottery, and literally like three days before it it started, I got the call saying that I had gotten in, and I was like, I don't even own a bathing suit, that's 
I have one bathing suit, but it's it's very boobylicious. It's very much for like laying on the beach being looked at, like not for <laughs> being in a pool doing adaptive swimming. Um, and so I had a really positive bathing suit shopping experience, which even saying those words, my brain is still like, what? And I have this suit that I just feel really fucking fabulous in and it keeps things where they need to be while I swim. Um, but I, I just feel really sexy in it, even though that's, that's not even the point, but I put it on and I just, to me, sexy is really feeling confident and I put it on and just, you know, I can just feel that confidence go up. Isn't it interesting how that deep sense of sexiness often comes as this natural byproduct? It's not this forced thing. Not that we can't take steps to turn ourselves on or get in the mood on purpose, of course, but there's something especially beautiful, I think, about just letting desire evolve and happen. And it stems from being true to ourselves and letting our girl boners be, you know? Aim for authenticity, take care of ourselves, and schwing happens. We then also have so much more to share with others, including sexually. Speaking of which, I asked Megan and Kate both to share a sexy or romantic thing they had done for their own partner recently. There was something that sort of happened, a bit of a conflict um, and, and misunderstanding, and it was just really coming from a place of, you know, I think it's like, I think of this like concept of like being a king or a queen, like it's really helping him not go to a place of shame or guilt, but understanding how and why, like, you know, it was a misstep, it was a miscommunication, it happens so often, but, you know, like I'm letting that go, right? Because I want him to know how I really see him and what's inside of him and I know what is the best part of him. And I think when we speak to the best parts of our partners and our children, anyone really, it, it, it allows them to show up with the best parts of themselves. Mm-hmm. And when they feel, you know, that they've misstepped or, you know, it's a misunderstanding or, you know, it, it, in any way, shame, guilt, any of those negative feelings come up. If we in any way speak to that, I think we're just, you know, we're, we're shutting our partners down. And so it's to recognize how much power we have, even when there's conflict or tension, to um, learn from it and rise above and bring out the best in one another. That is beautiful. Beautiful. What about you, Kate? Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think because I feel, I'm like, what's something actually, like, special that isn't, that I don't just do regularly? And I'm kind of struggling to come up with something. Well, because for both of them. you feel bad? <laughs> well, it's like, it's a lifestyle, I yeah. guess. It is kind of I'm like... like <laughs> I just found... So, underwear shopping is really challenging for me. Um, I'm, I'm a straight-sized pants, but for some reason, underwear just don't fit my body. It's very... Like, every lingerie expert that I've... And I have several in my network. It's like, this makes no sense. Like, the underwear for my pant size is actually... Like, they just don't fit. It's fucking weird. And so, underwear shopping is often, like fraught and then I have all these underwear at home that I they don't feel good in and so I'm not prancing around half naked which is my preferred when I'm at home I'd like to be in just a tank top and and a pair of underwear but that fit well and then I feel good in so I guess this is a little bit indirect but um, I finally found I was at Kohl's when I was home for Easter uh, and Vera Wang makes these gorgeous they're not all lace either because I'm just I, I always ruin lace, but they're these really gorgeous, silky, and they're roomier, and they actually, they fit so comfortably and so well, and so I have just, like, re-embraced hanging out in my apartment in a cami and these really sexy-feeling underwear, and then that usually leads to me, like, prancing around and, like, just being... 
<laughs> you know, whenever I see somebody just randomly dance in public, I think of you. Oh, that makes me so happy. Because you, do, you just dance. Like, she, she stayed with me for a few days last year, and, like, she just burst out into dancing. And it, it was, like, such a good influence on me. Yay. Because, again, you know, Scandinavian, Minnesotan, and yeah. I haven't always felt super free in my, my body yeah. and stuff. And so to be around someone who's just like, like it's, it's really cool. And I just, I love it when I see that freedom mm. out in public and that yeah. kind of be feeling uninhibited and, and you take a class that's like the yeah. free woman. Yeah. So I take a class that's called Embody. It's only in New York right now. Um, but the idea is that is, and I was, I referenced my central movement practice and this is part of it. And the idea with the class is that it's, it's unchoreographed, although there is kind of more of a group warm up and beginning so it's not like it's not like something like ecstatic dance which is also fantastic where it's just like here's music move there's you know there's some guidance in the beginning and then slowly you're kind of let go of so to speak um, but the idea is that you move through different emotional states or if you're a little bit more woo woo the idea of moving through different archetypes of women so that looking at like your very grounded fierce earth woman and looking at your more sensual siren and so that way you could access all these different emotional states there's usually there's always a really angry song and each class I've noticed lately there's been well, since the election uh, there's been a lot more like stomping and we're screaming our heads off and it's just like you were talking about before Megan with the with the the moaning like there's just this this energy of us coming together and we recently the last one was a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood there were like 20 women in a room and just like Screaming and shaking and stomping and shimmying and hip strike. It was, it was amazing. And jumping up and down and playing and yeah. It's really I love awesome. it. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. And it's an energy, as you're saying, and as you said, August, that's contagious. Yeah. Right? So there's something to be said, you know, when if you don't know a friend or an environment that's really sex positive or mm-hmm. helps you touch in, you know, sort of connect with that part of you, that online and hopefully in your communities there are sex positive mm-hmm. places because I think energy has a way of attracting itself and you know when you're around people that are really free and mm-hmm. uh, embodied you know it, it just it, it, it's gra- it gravita- it's like gravitational pull right yeah, to yeah. sort of go to that place for yourself yeah yeah and I feel that with both of you just this there's this really bright sparkly it's like champagne you know I think <laughs> the energy of Surrounding yourself with mm-hmm. with the bubbly is is very powerful. Yeah, that's amazing. Next, I asked the ladies to share a fantasy they've had and haven't acted on yet, either because, well, maybe it's something they never would want to act on. Sometimes they're better just living in our heads. Maybe they aren't realistic, or maybe they just haven't gotten around to them yet. You know, it's interesting to say that, and I'm going to out myself in that. You know, being a sex therapist and, you know, coming from a very sex-positive place and totally believe in the value of holding the energy, I'm one of the people that I don't have an active fantasy life, and I'll own that, because I see that sometimes with my clients, and, you know, it's like, there's no shame. You know, I love to watch erotica. I like to read erotica. And I think sometimes, and, and bring back really, you know, hot moments or sexy moments or experiences with my husband, but at the end of the day, you know, I am, I'm actually more auditory than visual, as you said you were, on some level. And maybe if I listen more, because again, hearing sounds of arousal, I find very arousing. Yeah. But it's like I'm in the moment with that and I'm feeling that. I'm not somebody who gets in my head in fantasy. So. Yeah. And if you're proactively 
being sexual. I know a lot of people fantasize during sex. Some people, it's only outside of sex, whatever. I know that I fantasize more when I'm not having sex. I do try to be really, well, not even just try, but I just feel like I'm very present in it for the most part, unless we're talking about fantasies out loud. And that is like crazy turn on for me. About yeah, so I'm the opposite. I have a very rich fantasy life. Um, usually during sex with my partner, it's more of talking. I, I've, I always just call that dirty talk. I'm like, dirty talk can just be sharing your fantasies with each other as it's happening. Um, I'm going to fess up to something that I may regret later in life. So um, I have this weird attraction to Paul Ryan, and the way that I manage it is by fantasizing about pegging him. Because like, there's just something about pegging, literally pegging the patriarchy that I'm like, I can get on board with this. So wow. that has happened. That will never actually happen. Well, no, it has not happened. That fantasy has happened, to clarify. Um, <laughs> but there's that, which is very weird. And my, and my close friends all know. And now the rest of the world fucking knows too. And so they'll like send stuff along and be like, how about this? <laughs> you know, yeah, I like, actually encourage you to read Michael Bader's The Secret Logic of Sexual Arousal because there is something psychologically very fascinating about some of our biggest turn-ons mm-hmm. and how again there's a sense of mastery in it mm-hmm. so oh yeah it's fully I mean it's fully tapping in I definitely identify as more of a switch even though I'm more vanilla than kinky um but in terms of the like kind of playing with that power, power and dynamics, yeah. dynamics yeah. And, like powerful man pegging him the idea that he's just yeah. against everything that he goes for. There's like so many, you can psychoanalyze. I can hear voice. There's yeah, like so many layers to it. And yeah. and yeah, so there's that. And then just, I mean, Justin Trudeau, but I think that's like a basic answer at this point universal. for the world. Just yeah. universal. Big orgy. I got a magazine the other day with his face on it. And then I had a sex store that I had like as a gift from one of the companies I work with. And I just looked at the mail and was like, to him. hey, thanks universe. I got this. I got the message. You could not have made this any fucking clearer. I just love it when the universe sends messages about sex toys. <laughs> Can we all just take a moment and send Care Bear stare like hugs full of girl boner sparkles to Kate for, for sharing all of that, particularly the whole pegging the patriarchy bit. I have a feeling she's not the only one who has had such a fantasy. If you have and would like to share with us about it, drop us a note on social media or through my site, augustmclaughlin.com. That chat made me feel like we need to explore the whole fantasy psychology more around here. It is so fascinating. Thanks again to Dr. Megan and Kate Scalisi for chatting with me and for all you do to make the world a more pleasure-rich and less shame-inducing place for so many. Speaking of pleasure, I had the chance to try out the Pulse 3 Duo toy recently, as did a volunteer tester, thanks to Hot Octopus, the world's first guybrator. It has patented pulse plate technology and has won multiple awards and is founded on medical science. So basically, there's this science you know, that shows that vibrations applied in a very particular way can make a penis owner ejaculate. Isn't that amazing? The company calls it one of the most powerful and effective male stimulators ever created. Whether you're straight or gay, using it alone or with a partner, it is incredibly versatile. So it's this round toy that fits around a penis and that can be a flaccid or hard penis. So it's a great one also for anyone dealing with erectile dysfunction, which I love. It has 
a remote control and vibrating underside. So if you have a vulva and your partner has a penis, it's a great combination. You can hop on up and get some clitoral stim um, externally, which is super, super, super fun. My tester said he was really appreciative of the many different available vibration settings, especially the rhythmic and sporadic ones. You know, they have the ones that consistently buzz and then the ones that kind of start and stop. He also said he can imagine it being really pleasurable in other areas, you know, such as the behind. There's a lot you can do. And I talked with Hot Octopus about best ways to use the toy. And they said that their top tip is this. It takes experimentation. Pulse is a completely new way of masturbating and produces a very different sensation from anything you might be used to. So give it time and practice. They said try it with and without lube, for example. You know, try it static or as a stroker. Um, So with or without the vibration, you can try different positions, which I love toys that allow you to experiment. Uh, It's great for people who have certain physical disabilities. There's just so many different options. And actually, side note, they have beautiful photography of individuals and couples of all ages and abilities on their website um, to advertise this toy, which I just love so much. We really do need more inclusivity in all things sexy. They also recommend that the penis owner use it first to get the hang of reaching orgasm with it before adding partner to the mix. So you can find it by clicking the Hot Octopus ad on my website or head straight to hotoctopus.com. That's hot octopus puss with two S's. Enter the code GB20 to get 20% off. They've also generously offered a giveaway of the toy. So stay tuned to my blog next week for details. If you're enjoying Girl Bone Radio, please subscribe on iTunes if you haven't yet and leave us a simple review while you're there. And I would totally love it if you'd share episodes with your friends. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.